for June 29th, 2009. It's the Overthinking It Podcast, episode 52. Billy Mays for Kaboobies. To the Overthinking and Podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. I am your host, these last several podcasts, Mr. Matthew Rather, coming at you from beautiful, picturesque New Haven, where the two young families above me have apparently put their children to bed because the earthquake-like rattling of toddlers running to and fro on the second floor right above my head has quieted somewhat. Though, if you hear it tonight, I hope hope it will give you uh, the kind of some much needed texture and a sense of the three-dimensionality, really, that we podcast in. Uh, I am joined, as always, by a panel of overthinkers, including a woman. Whoa! Oh, crap. Oh. <laughs> There's a woman in here? <laughs> what was that? I heard something. It's like, it's like a reverse Porky's. It's right? a girl! Where we're all in the shower together. You know, soaping each other up in a suggestive way, and there's a girl on the other side peeking through a hole into the high school locker room. (laughs) Ah! Has anyone seen Porky's? I'm going to go out there on a limb and say Porky's is a bad movie. That's with Kim Cattrall in it, right? It does. It has Kim Cattrall in about 30 seconds of it. And they're some of the most entertaining 30 seconds. But let me tell you the joke, right? I'm going to – spoiler alert for Porky's. Kim Cattrall has sex in, like, the equipment room of the high school gym uh, with a fellow coach. and, uh, And she makes a lot of noise. And it's embarrassing to everyone who's in PE at the time. Genius. As, as college sex comedies go, it's not great. It's it's a high school sex comedy, and it, oh, excuse me, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, anyway, sorry, I I just hate to um, uh, I hate to you know spoil classic works of American literature. All right, so. Uh, uh, unfortunately, we begin on a sad note uh, with the panel. The question of the week: Which celebrity death uh, makes you the saddest? Uh, that is all the, for, over the last several weeks, there have been a number of tragic celebrity deaths. Uh, not that all celebrity deaths aren't tragic. I don't know. Is that redundant to say tragic celebrity deaths? Are there any celebrity deaths that are non-tragic? I don't know. Take that question up if, uh, if you care to. Which of them has saddened you the most? Because we always like to start off with a bang. Mr. Peter Fenzel. Yo yo yo! Hey Matt, how's it going? <laughs> well, it's pretty good now that the now that the toddlers are not stampeding uh, like elephants. Yeah, I'm gonna say I'm very sad about Michael Jackson's passing. Um, I wrote that piece, you know, that was largely motivated by Michael Jackson. I tried to spread the wealth a little bit and talk about some of the other celebrities, but I was definitely very saddened by that. Um, and I will say that there's one way a celebrity can go down that's not tragic, um, and that's in a hail of enemy gunfire. Um, you know, if you're if you're charging if you're charging Hamburger Hill, and you know, all of a sudden, oh bam, you know, there goes John Malkovich. You know, at least he died for his country. Don't you mess pro patria mori. Come on now, hee <laughs> hee. Thank you, Pete, Mr. Mark Lee. Uh, yeah, uh, there's no room really to like to make a joke about that infomercial guy in sales. Really saddened by that because I wasn't. Um, that infomercial else can- guy. Yeah, uh, someone else can take that, oh. but I'm gonna have to go again with Michael Jackson. Um, you know, just to comment on, you know, well, his life was tragic, really. When he gets on, his death was tragic, as was his life. Um, you know, the, the the incredible, perhaps insurpassable amount of talent wrapped up to one human being, and to have that life end, that is a tragedy, no matter what. Well, you sure, and add to it a, a seriously poopy childhood. Yeah, that too. And childhoods are usually poopy. There's lots of poop in childhoods. Well, right, exactly. <laughs> there's books about it, whole books that people just write about childhood pooping. <laughs> you mean like oh. Michael Jackson's biography? Oh, kapow. Boom. <laughs> John Parrish. I, I recognize that laugh. It's Mr. John Parrish. Yo. Celebrity death. Okay. Celebrity uh, death. Celebrity death, the fate of all men. Um, <laughs> it's the celebrity death match. 
<laughs> a death match, if you will. <laughs> I'm going to diverge from the from the prior trend and actually say Billy Mays is the one that's that's hit me the hardest. Uh, just because, if you'll pardon me, I mean, Michael Jackson's death is certainly tragic, but to be honest, the only way I'd related to him was as a celebrity, as an artist and a performer. And I had sort of written him off as a performer starting about 1994 onward, because really, after after maybe black or white at the latest, and really after uh, after bad, I hadn't really valued much of what he'd done as an artist. So I mean, he really he really peaked in the late '80s. So everything since then was kind of ignorable. Whereas Billy Mays, you really feel was at the the peak was. Uh, had not yet hit his stride. Like, there were still things he could have pitched, still little items of consumerism that he could have contributed to the pop culture that, that are now forever lost to us. And I think I think in terms of additions to the pop culture, we have lost more by losing Billy Mays than we did by losing Michael Jackson. Okay. Oh. Okay. Because we already had... That is that is to say you're you're basing it off in a way off the opportunity to, cost. It, it, to, yeah, exactly. I mean, Michael Jackson was never. I mean, between 2009 and 2019, gonna beat Thriller, but Billy Mays could have beat OxyClean. Let me put it that way. Or Orange mm. Glow, or what was it? Orange Glow. Or uh, the 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 putty, the the instant hold putty. Oh, uh, that was you good know. stuff. Or that what? freaking ShamWow guy. He could have smacked <laughs> him around a little bit, <laughs> giving a little was, backhand. Yeah, there was such there was such a brawl dueling there, like a clash of the titans, and now we'll never see that. That's that. Oh, I'm sad. Yeah. Oh, and a nation mourns with you, Mister Parrish. Shana Malowski. Hello. Malowski. 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 We don't even what? know. Are you from, are you uh, of my heritage, of my people, the Poles? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Do you like Wumpkies? Fighting Poles. Say that again, Progies. Oh, right. Good point, John. I'm so used to going to you after Mark. John typed into the chat that uh, M comes before P. I should have gone to Shana before I went to Parrish. But uh, I'm so used to... Over-alphabetizing it. I'm I'm so used to... And John is pissed off about it. God, you know what? Don't be such a dick in the chat room, man. You know? Uh, Shana, yes, a uh, lot of stuffed cabbage, yes, that that we poles eat. The the wumkies, like uh, my mother made some good pachanica wumki. No, see this, I, I come from the Jewish pole thing. I think we have different food than you do. Oh sure, well no doubt, no doubt, and a, a different language. Um, and the Holocaust that happened. <laughs> Just pointing that out. I love how having a woman on the podcast has really kept us on the straight and narrow as far as not saying anything. uh, Like our caller or writer in her, Amy, said, uh, a woman would bring class to the podcast. So here I am. Here's the class. (laughs) Uh, Celebrity death. Uh, I'm going to also say Billy Mays, uh, for similar reason to John, um, I, I like Michael Jackson. I, I think his music uh, adds a lot of you know, energy to a bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah, for instance. Um, but Billy Mays really got me because of the YouTube. He's part of the internet pop culture, and I get most of my pop culture from the internet. For instance, today I saw a video of... Um, uh, Billy Mays doing the voice, uh, or no, actually, sorry, the heavy weapons guy from Team Fortress 2 doing a voiceover for um, an OxyClean commercial with Billy Mays in it. It worked very well. It was very humorous. And now we're not going to have that well of Billy Mays infomercials to dip into for humorous YouTube videos. And I think that's just tragic, honestly. You hey, Twittered, Shana. yeah, you Twittered a link, didn't you, for, on the OTI uh, Twitter? Right? That yes. was a, a Billy Mays. Um, Let's see if we can get that. Let's see if we can get that up. There are several remixes of Billy Mays commercials. That was uh, some sort of hip-hop inspired one, I believe, or gangster rap. I don't remember. Let's uh, let's give it uh, just a bit of a listen here. Billy Mays here breaking your back. Pounding. Super strong. Super, super strong. Now that's the strength of Billy Mays. Guaranteed. Super strong. Super, super strong. With the flick of a switch. But it gets even better. So stop getting out of bed every night. Just pee in the closet. 
Okay. Uh, yes, Mr. Mr. Billy Mays, the late Mr. Billy Mays. Now, I'm going to stick up here uh, for, for my boy Ed McMahon. Uh, he's going to be my pick. And, uh, you know, he was a thing, I think he was a rare thing in pop culture where he was not... He was something that you don't see anymore, where he was sort of totally white bread, right? Well, I, I don't know. Maybe you disagree <laughs> with me. But uh. he was <laughs> right where he he was uh, he was not controversial in any way. You'd never see Ed McMahon making a joke about Sarah Palin's daughter. You know, sort of seemed outside of politics. His job was to kind of sit there and be bland as a uh, foil to Johnny Carson. And also to host Star Search, you know? And I think that that's like, I think that that's something in entertainment that we don't have anymore where everyone's kind of out for their own. Uh, where, you know, it's like a guy, he's there to make other people look better, you know? And, and that like, because it's always about, it's about the publisher's clearinghouse prize winner or it's about Johnny Carson or the guests or it's about the guests on Star Search. And it's not all about Ed McMahon all the time. And I think that that, bring that sort of noble workmanlike quality in entertainment uh is something that you don't uh uh don't see as much anymore it's, it yeah, has a it has a kind of old-fashionedness about it you don't see very much of that i mean that's how, that's how regis philbin got his start he was a a second banana for uh either joey bishop or peter lawton one of the, the lesser known rat pack but yeah that's i mean he got his start that way ed mcmahon got his start that way and, and that's I think that's one of the last generations of entertainers to to come up like that. Right. Yeah. And that there's something to sort of playing the straight man, right? That you don't. I don't know. It just seems like those those kind of, or maybe that kind of comedy is over. I don't think so necessarily. I mean, Andy Richter's back on the Conan Tonight Show, and he's doing better than ever. Um, I mean, are you talking about like supportive sidekick comedy, or you're talking about just nice guy comedy? Sort of nice guy comedy, sort of straight man comedy. Like, doesn't doesn't isn't Andrew Richter kind of quirky in his own way? Well, I mean, sure, it's all quirky, you know. But Johnny Carson was quirky too in his own way. Well, right, but he was the star. Right, 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 right. Yeah, so you're talking, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're talking about you? Can you think of a comedian who plays a sort of bo- not boring, but a sort of straight down the middle kind of straight regular guy? Who you know, what, here's the here's the thing. Like Andy Richter went and got his own sitcom. You'd never think of Ed McMahon like trying to go and get his own sitcom, right? I suppose, but I mean, it, the sitcom didn't really work out for Andy Richter all that What, well, what about but... Teller from Penn and Teller? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good, yeah. I mean, right? So you, sure. you're saying that like men should be seen and not heard? Is that only is that, that a... one? I knew well, it yeah. was a mistake yeah. to get yeah, a woman on this podcast. <laughs> uh, I don't like the way this, na- this neighborhood's going to heck. So, uh, they're starting to move in. Diarrhea. <laughs> Class, I'm adding class. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, you got class coming out your ass. That I do. Wow. <laughs> yes, and it's... scene on the intro segment. Yeah. <laughs> there, yep. good intro, guys. Oh, Get I can't say five. guys. I can't say guys anymore. Sorry. Good intro, overthinkers. <laughs> <laughs> to the overthinking mobile. <laughs> <laughs> Um, All right, so uh, I think Transformers probably shattered all box office records. You know, Optimus Prime is the new Harry Potter or something like that this weekend. Is that at all? Is that at all true at all? I don't know. Okay, I'm not. (laughs) You talk about you talk about you talk about. uh, Transformers. I'm gonna go look it up on Variety and maybe go get a. (laughs) So Transformers are 201 million first five days. Second only to the Dark Knight's five-day opening of two hundred three million. So it didn't quite. Uh, oh, it didn't. You see, because there was this thing like, is it going to beat the Dark Knight's record? But, but no, I guess not. No, I don't it know. Is the is the five-day opening weekend cheap? Ipso facto. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to downplay Transformers' success at the box office. I mean, that was ridiculous. Well, That's I guess I guess so. Of- I'm just saying, like, it's inflated, though, isn't it? Don't you think due to uh, due to the fact that they released it, you know. Wednesday morning at 12.01 a.m. It certainly makes it easier for it to be the best ever or the second best ever if it's a practice they've only been doing for a few years. Right. right. You know, especially right. if you don't adjust for inflation ever and you just assume that every year, just because the dollar weakens relative to the movie ticket in value, that the movies must be getting better and better. 
Yeah, but do, do you see a lot of inflation-adjusted uh, all-time grosses? I mean, every now and then someone someone busts out like, you know, oh, E.T., best ever, but like, no, oh, gone with the wind if you adjust for inflation and number of screens, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, that, that, would, be, that would be good overthinking fodder for later weeks, like, you know, box office opening weekend or all-time grosses, inflation-adjusted. You know, I think Matt – didn't Matt do that when he did – Oh, and Mark, you collaborated on that post, right? When he did the um, the blockbuster bell curve post, or Mark, was that just you? No, I think it was actually. I think it was Sheely collaborating with Belinky. Oh, there you um, go. He did it for a little bit. I'm mostly focusing on Oscar winners as opposed to just you know overall box office. Yeah, but there opening. was a measure of correlation between the top earners and the Oscar winners. It could be. I have, I'd have to go back and look. I mean, the, uh, Oscar, well, yeah. the Oscar winners being what being the symbol for what what the industry wants to reward or what they want to be seen as rewarding, right? It's I think a, he was talking about the relevancy of the Oscars specifically as well, more than like the more abstract conflict between like the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences and their audience. Well, right. right. I mean, and that's a point that Chris Rock made, I think, brilliantly when he hosted the Oscars once. Mm-hmm. Right, I thought yeah. I thought Chris Rock was great, but uh, you know you could see how he sort of rankled some of the some of the you know pleated tuxedo pants in that room or something. Do you rankle pants? Yeah. Well, I do. Well, that was when he went out to that theater in that black neighborhood and he asked them if any of them had seen any of the Oscar-nominated Best Picture movies, and all they had seen was like White Chicks and Soul Plane. Right, which exactly, is exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, are you here to see The Last Samurai? No, we're here to see Soul Plane. (laughs) Which actually, I mean, honestly, I don't know. That might be... uh, It's a better movie than The Last Samurai. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I was about to say. (laughs) In my kind of tortured way. In my, like, you know, circumlocution. Anyhow, to to get back to Transformers Why would you want to do that? I I know. (laughs) Well... Was I didn't know people were expecting this to to do so well because the the critical reception was largely terrible. I mean, Roger Ebert was unheard of, unleashed unheard of levels of savagery on it in his review. Well, who was it who wrote the um, the Twitter the tweet whatever of the first I, line of his review? Was that you, yeah, John? Yeah, I posted that to... to uh, I was a little sad that you left out the very next line. Um, he was saying in his first line that it, um, the movie was a horrible experience of unbearable length, briefly punctuated by three or four amusing moments. And then he gives one of the moments, which is, um, it involves a dog-like robot humping the leg of the heroine, which <laughs> makes me want to see the movie, honestly. Well, I, I mean, I, I have the review queued up, and I'll, I'll read the opening paragraph for you. I mean, there's there's the line, line Shannon just read, and then... You know, dog-like robot on the leg of the heron. Such are the meager joys. If you want to save yourself the ticket price, go into the kitchen, cue up a male choir singing the music of hell, and get a kid to start banging pots and pans together. Then close your eyes and use your imagination. <laughs> and that's the first paragraph of his review. It it only it only gets similarly worse from there. So it it, it one star, and he gave Garfield two and a half. So. <laughs> All right. Here's, wow. here's what I have to say about that. Okay, so sure. You know, just to put it out there, Rotten Tomatoes. Well, he likes lasagna. Roger Ebert likes lasagna. <laughs> yeah, he's, biased. he's biased. He's pro-cat, anti-robot. <laughs> it's, I, I, I'll point out, the Rotten Tomatoes score is, what, 21%? 21%, which is pretty freaking low. Um, oh, did you was, say that already? I, I, was about, I was about to say that. Um, I would say that critics were definitely kind of like, you know, licking their chops, waiting to get at this movie. Right, they had every reason to hate this and to you know go into it. Um, you know, they were just they're ready. They're ready to slam it, right? Um, so that that being said, you know, well, if you look at the buzz, and the best way, of course, to look at the buzz in this 21st century age of ours is to do a real time search on Twitter for Transformers. Yeah. And I'm paging through. The last time I looked at the first page of results on it, um, I think all but one, uh, you know, just tweet reaction for Transformers was positive. In other words, the buzz it's getting, whoever's deciding that they're going to go out and see it, uh, that they're going to check their brain at the door and go and see this, is liking it, and that word is getting around. So if you're wondering why it's doing well in spite of critical reviews, I would say it's because of good buzz. Well, I, good right, like, I, yeah, I guess it's pleasurable, you but you don't necessarily respect it or yourself yeah, in you the morning. No, I'm not saying I am respecting it. <laughs> But, you know, people don't go and do the things that they are going to respect in the morning. They do the things that are pleasurable, and then they say <laughs> the things that they're going to respect in the morning, right? 
I don't know. Or maybe I've just been paying attention too much to all those the South the South Carolina guy who uh he what did he do? He went to Argentina to go watch Transformers Revenge of the Fallen and then pretended like he was there. And then he turned pretended like he was fishing like, trail. That guy is like that guy should make a whatever children's foundation Michael fam Michael Jackson's family sets up in his name, that guy should make a big donation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For you know, shifting the national conversation away from him. Yeah. Also, Iran. Yeah, the Ayatollah is really happy. Yeah, that the Ayatollah is like <laughs> thanking Michael Jackson. Uh, so, right, I'm reading some of these reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, and like, this is one of the good reviews. Uh, any review of Transformers: Revenge of the Fallen needs uh, be only one line long. If you like the first film, you'll like this one. Uh, that's it. Uh, that's it, apparently. That's from the Sydney Morning Herald. This is from the Beaumont Journal. Sure, it could have been a little more critic-friendly, a little more intellectual, <laughs> maybe even less silly. But Michael Bay is first and foremost an entertainer, and in my opinion, he once again gets the job done. Is that damning with faint praise? Yeah, that's almost a textbook example of... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Australia, another okay, uh, another okay one from Sydney. Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty much carnage here. Does anybody remember the A.O. Scott article he did a few years ago? Probably actually in reaction to the first, first Transformers movie, which is, you know, basically, you know, a, a collective head scratch on the behalf of fellow movie critics, you know, saying, you know, we, you know, we crap on these movies and why do you people go out and, and shower them with your money? Why do you make it rain for Michael Bay? <laughs> I don't think those were his words. but I <laughs> Well, because Michael Bay is in the business of terror. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he has a handful of sacks and you'd better grab an umbrella, Mr. Scott. Um, yeah, I think that uh, Ale Scott's kind of, kind of uptight. It doesn't really understand why people like movies. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I there's know. yeah, there's an immense audience for for properties that get no critical respect whatsoever, and and people are just starting to wake up to that. Like Slate had an article about a year ago about the immense popularity of Tyler Perry's movies, the the Medea movies, like not just Diary of a Mad Black Woman, but like Medea goes to prison, Medea's family reunion, and Medea these, goes to jail. Medea goes to jail. Yes, yeah, 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 Thank you. Not prison, jail. I'm sorry. And these are these are. These are immensely successful movies. Like they, they sell remarkably well. They, they bring back their cost and more. And yet, no critics like them because they're they're remarkably out of touch with what you know the average black audience wants to see. Well, right, and, and was- that's actually something that's been talked about. I actually heard a podcast the other day with black sitcom writers who are like, "Yeah, no, Tyler Perry is great, but he's actually doing. He's speaking to a specific demographic within the black community, not even to you know, as though there was. I guess there is this Hollywood fiction that the black community is like one." you know, giant undifferentiated demographic, but that even, you know, even within that minority audience within America, he's speaking to a minority demographic within that, within that audience, which is, which is brilliant in a way, because he didn't come up through the Hollywood system. He came up like selling DVDs off the back of his truck. He was, he had these plays that he would tour around the country in, you know, in theaters that, uh, that someone like me has never been to, uh, and would sell the DVDs off the uh, out, you know, outside at the merch booth. And it didn't make me respect Tyler Perry. I oh, very upsetting. Well, it's very, no, no, I mean, bit. it's very, it's very easy. I mean, Tyler Perry is an interesting thing. Like, I'm really not into what he does, but he he really did sort of build this he's like the he's like the black jonathan colton or jonathan colton is like he's a lot bigger than jonathan colton yeah yeah but it's <laughs> you know he's like the black mel brooks he built a ground we should probably collaborate yeah, he, he built a that would be great. Built a, a grassroots following outside of the system, in other words, right? Yeah, and then so, and in a way now the system has come to embrace him because he makes so much money. Yeah, I think that maybe maybe one of the keys if, is if you think back to when movies were trying to rescue themselves from television and they had to reinvent themselves because they could no longer get by on the sort of cost-benefit of offering entertainment as a commodity. And they came up with this model of creating pictures as events, 
right? And so big releases, big opening weekends, somebody that everybody wants to go see and be a part of. Maybe one of the things that the critics don't get when they're trying to, to extrapolate from their reviews of the quality of a movie, whether people will go see it, is not whether people will see the movie, but whether people will participate in the event. Like, are people going to go to the party that is the release of Transformers? Like, do they want to be part of that? Um, and, you know, maybe there's a lot of really good movies where you just don't want to be part of the event of going to go see it. Um, and maybe there's a couple of, you know, raunchy parties that you want to go see that, you know, have some robots in it. Where you, want, where you want to respect yourself in the morning. Yeah, but who goes uh, to a party because they want to respect themselves in the morning? I get, no, no, no. <laughs> right, have, right. Right. Yeah, you go to yeah, a party because yeah. you want to get some strange. You go to a party, you, go, you try to go experience celebration in the carnivalesque in order to invert your social order and liberate yourself from the restriction that you join your stress. But then, right? yeah, but then, right, Pete, there's a spate of marriages, you know, that follows <laughs> any... Well, that's why people wait, go to the movies, wait, too. What? That's a huge joke. You say that, but it's true. People, going to the movies is a, is a marriage and fertility ritual, right? Because it's a, it's a key to... <laughs> and not just because the teenagers are doing it in the back row. <laughs> And not just because, like, some sort of computer-generated facsimile of a woman named Megan Fox is on the is in the. <laughs> well, that was a pretty. That was a pretty cool little viral video of the computer-generated <laughs> Megan Fox. But yeah, but I mean, like, totally, totally. Think about the movies that people will take other people to see on dates are not the necessarily the movies they think are the best of the movies that they like. You know, right? Um, I mean, there, there are a lot of people who saw Pixar's Up, for example, who liked it. When I went to go see it, almost everyone in the audience was in a couple. Um, all, these are all people who would have seen the movie individually, no doubt, if they, you know, if they, you know, based on the quality of the movie. But under those circumstances, the one who went to the theater on that day at that time, you know, if they did not have dates, they would not go, right? So wanting to be part of the party means more of an opportunity for being part of the party. Um, you know, I think that has a huge effect on what movies do do well financially, or even in terms of people who, you know liking them. Um, versus what movies don't. I want to read. I want to read more blurbs from uh, from okay. reviews. Oh, what were you going to say, Pete? I'm sure it's more interesting than more blurbs from reviews. Oh no, no, no! no. I was just going to mention that that you know, I mean, as much as I hate to say it, and I might be giving a little bit of a spoiler here. We don't have to describe it in detail. Um, but like living on a prayer. It's a good song, you know, but it's not so much better than every other song in existence that it needs to be played at half the parties it gets played at. Like, people don't listen to Living on a Prayer at parties in order to listen to Living on a Prayer as a song. It's a ritual, right? Right. I would say uh, that, I, you know, I'd say Like a Prayer uh, is the same way. Oh, that's a much better example. Yeah, even that, well, no, yeah. it's exactly like – it's, it's well, exactly – maybe it's the prayer aspect. Maybe it's the religious aspect of these <laughs> songs. That, <laughs> Because Seal's prayer for the dying, you know, gets gets so much similar respect. Yeah, and you've got to pray just to make it today. <laughs> Fenzel, I don't want to get too too much on the on a on a living under prayer tangent here, but I'm kind of shocked and 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 saddened and surprised to hear you, you know, uh, speak of living under prayer in, in such a way as if it's not just a good piece of music that you would want to listen to. Oh, well, Mark, but you didn't hear the other part of my opinion. My Generally, my other part of this opinion is that there are a lot of other Bon Jovi songs that are better than Living on a Prayer and that you could listen to in addition to Living on a Prayer if you wanted to. Um, so I don't necessarily think that... I feel like it's a little bit more fair if you're, you're putting it up in the, in the same league. Um, I don't want to diminish my, my affection for, for Mr. Lee in particular. But I always thought that that song, While Wonderful, is not like the best Bon Jovi song. Your love is like bad medicine. Bad I think we can all agree it's not a dance song, though. If you're at a party. Yeah, but what, does Bon Jovi have have dance songs? Uh, Your love is like song. bad <laughs> <laughs> I can just I want that to be in my alarm clock in the morning. I can, I can that, that plays every time I have to get up and, and tackle my day. No, I want Mark Lee to uh, sing the Star Trek theme again, and that's going to be my alarm clock. <laughs> <laughs> but it's on. It's M for quarter on MV3. If you, um, you know, oh, if you yeah, slice yeah. and dice that previous podcast episode, you could totally Actually, get it. Let me say this to our listenership right now: If you want to set up a particular overthinker singing a particular song as the wake up on your alarm clock or cell phone. <laughs> Post a request in the comments of this podcast. We will report and send you an MP3 of us doing it. Right. Absolutely. I suggest you don't uh, ask me. We will They've post it. Okay. Don't, don't do it. 
as an alarm clock or as a ringtone for your phone or as a as a voicemail to send to your mom or just just really anything. Yeah, just leave a comment and we'll do it. Because we are all about your mom. Billy Mae is here for (laughs) so this is this is from the New Republic. If it sounds as though the script was written in serial novel form during an all night mescaline bender, well, I have no evidence that it was not. This is from the Minneapolis Star Tribune. I've just spent two and a half hours watching a movie and another hour thinking about what I saw, and I have no earthly idea what Transformers Revenge of the Fallen is about. <laughs> that's um that's like that's actually kind of like Fenzel's review of the Terminator Salvation. And how it has a bad log line, right? Or no obvious yeah. log line. Yep, yep, yep. You can't describe what it's about without assuming a lot of knowledge of the Terminator universe. Can I hold on for a second here? I'm assuming that all five panelists have not seen it, right? No, yeah, no, have not. So, right. kind of similar to when, you know, when we've done this before, like, why did you not see Crank 2? So why didn't we see Transformers 2? Do, we, do, any, do any of you guys plan on seeing it? Or are we all kind of boycotting it, holding our noses up in the air? No, I might have gone. I just, uh, I had to, like, move, I had to move apartments or help a friend move apartments this weekend. And then there was, like, family obligation stuff. It was just not a good weekend for movie going. I probably so, should I wanna... because um, when I saw the first Transformers movie, uh, that was the inspiration for my article on uh, strong female characters uh, because of Megan Fox's very strong female character in that movie. And uh, that made me very popular on the blog, so maybe I should see it and uh, write another like, so, Santa, angry speed. So, right, so, to kind of uh, go off of that, you know, I'm torn, right, in terms of like I kind of want to see it for – no, not for lack of a better word, research or to see what it's all about, you know, to be part of the event and also to, you know, to examine it as a specimen of pop culture. Um, but on the other hand, you know, I abhorred Transformers the first time and I just don't want to, like, feel like I'm contributing to the Michael Bay, uh, you know, cash machine. It's kind of like, you know, all those you know, people who were kind of torn about, torn about seeing the Passion of the Christ who objected to its portrayal of, of this and that and Judaism and, you know, it's the, the fact that it was a snuff film, but they wanted to check it out to see what it's about. Are you saying torn. Optimus Prime is anti-Semitic? <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, 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 no. Actually, if you, if you recall a certain episode of Family Guy, it was revealed that Optimus Prime is Jewish, actually. Oh, really? I recall it. So, yeah. yeah. It was actually the band uh, Family Guy episode where they take Peter to, to become Jewish and make him smarter. And on the way, they go to a temple, and, and Peter's like, holy crap, Optimus Prime's Jewish? Anyway, that's our family that guy. Was not a bad, that was not a bad Peter impression. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm going to stop. Let's, do, let's just do quickly, let's ring the changes on this, because we were talking about it before. Uh, favorite, um, favorite Michael Bay movie? Should we go alphabetical order or reverse alphabetical order? No, please order? don't go alphabetical order because I have to go on IMDb and look up. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go reverse alphabetical all right, order. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll st- well, I'll start. No, because, well, I'm, uh, I'm the last in the alphabet. Thank you. Uh, uh, fine. Yeah, because I'm an English major. I know what alphabetical order is. <laughs> uh, and I'm going with The Rock. Easy. You know, nice. Good movie. First act was way too long. They should have been on the on the island in twenty minutes. But other than that, you know, decent action movie. All right, rolling back. Uh, apparently, I forgot what alphabetical order is. John, you're next, right? Uh, yes, I would be. I would be next after that. Uh, favorite Michael Bay movie? Bad Boys. Because, I mean, The Rock was just a little too ridiculous for me. Not quite, but just a little too much. And everything after that gets subsequently more too much ridiculous until we get to Transformers 2, which we've already talked about. But Bad Boys was, I mean, it was it was an acceptable level of mid-90s spectacle. And, you know, it, it, was, it was okay. I, I guess really no, don't, I no really one's, don't like Michael Bay. No one's going to choose uh, Pearl Harbor 2 Hiroshima Nights. <laughs> no, that that won't happen. <laughs> um, uh, Shannon, you're next, right? I, I'm going to have to say The Rock as well. Um, it's the only Michael Bay movie I can stand, and not only can stand it, I really do like it. I used to have The Rock, Con Air, double features, and it's it's really a beautiful thing. Just Nicolas Cage all around. That's yeah. Also, also both commentaries on the uh, on, on the American penal system. Yeah, in a way. Yeah. Let's write an article on it. Go for it. 
<laughs> you can call it, uh, or we can do two articles on Transformers and call it the American Penile System. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 oh, where's the, the booth? <laughs> uh, Mark, okay, finally to you. Okay, I'm going to go a little out of the box and go with the island. Um, with little, the uh, yeah, the little scene, uh, Scarlett Johansson right slash yeah. Ewan McGregor vehicle. Yeah, kind of kind of a Logan's Run kind of thing about it, where you're trying to bust out of a of a you know false utopia kind of uh, a bubble land that they're living in. Um, so Scarlett Johansson, first of all, uh, you know, big thumbs up for Scarlett Johansson being in it and you know, <laughs> being able to see her. <laughs> <laughs> Aside from that, I went in to see it with extremely low expectations. You know, just a friend of mine had rented it on a whim. Uh, sat yeah, she, down has a, she has really a strong female character in that movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, I saw it, entertained, um, you know, fairly well executed. Nothing like way too over the top about it, I would say, as well. You know, like, like, like unlike Transformers. So, The uh, Island. Not a right, not you- bad movie. Pete, is it, is it my turn? Because I've got the answer, and you're all wrong. <laughs> you're all wrong. First of all, my, my pick would have been Armageddon prior to this, but that answer is also incorrect. The correct answer are all the music videos off of Bat Out of Hell 2, Back Into Hell, the Meatloaf album, which were all directed by Michael Bay. Did he do I Would Do Anything for Love? I will do anything for love, but I won't do that. Uh, objects in the rearview mirror may have closer than they are, which is a phenomenal music video, and Rock and Roll Dreams Come Through. And I believe they were filmed sort of in sequence as part of a sort of macro video movie spectacular project. Um, so I, I think that, wow. that next to the beauty and grace of Mr. Loaf's uh, Visio auditory symphonies of passion, desperation, and, and ham-fisted Steinman goodness, uh, the rest of Bay's catalog pales. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, I don't, offensively, I'm assuming you're at least half joking on this, but I think that proves a good point is that Michael Bay is not completely without merit, right? Well, I mean, I will say that I'm not entirely joking, that I think that the video music video to Objects in the Rearview Mirror may appear closer than they are is actually better than most Michael Bay movies. (laughs) 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 And in fact, perhaps all Michael Bay movies pound for pound. I really like Armageddon. I thought Armageddon was good. That would be my real answer to the question. But I feel like it doesn't create as much new artistic space as these sort of other ridiculous macro projects. Um, I think that Michael Bay does certain things very well. He doesn't do story very well. He always adds an extra coda to his movies that doesn't add anything to it. There's always an extra like 30 minutes after the movie's over where he makes you do another car chase for no reason. The, or or a whole the whole Doolittle raid. Yeah, the worst part, the worst one was in Bad Boys 2 when they invaded Cuba. Like, the movie is over, and then they're like, let's go invade Cuba. And it's like Will Smith at the Bay of Pigs. And it's like this, this bizarre car chasing where he gets in a Humvee, and he drives down a hill covered in shanty towns and lean-tos. And it's like, I'm totally serious. Do you remember this scene? Yes. Where he's just, like, plowing through corrugated tin roofs of, like, these indigent Cubans. And it's like all, he's got the bandana on, and he's, what, Los Angeles, no, Miami Police Department or something? And he's, like, they do a stage like a two-man invasion of a communist country with Martin Lawrence. Yeah, but that was not... I mean, the thing that made me most... That even was not the most uncomfortable moment for me in Bad Boys 2. It, it was definitely the cadaver boobies <laughs> in well, Bad Boys scene, 2. That whole scene is ripped off of the chase with Charlie Sheen and Christy Swanson. Um, Can we quote they... a new phrase here? Kaboobies? <laughs> <laughs> Billy Mays here for kaboobies. <laughs> <laughs> and we have the title. <laughs> there's there's the title. All right, uh, do we want to do we want to touch on celebrity deaths a little bit more at all? Anyone have anything they w- they want to say about the phenomenon? Really? Um, just just that they should everyone should be very afraid right now because clearly someone is out there murdering celebrities, and <laughs> it, they're they're on the hunt and they're thirsty for human blood. So if you're like if you're like either a really sort of beloved icon of like the seventies and eighties or somebody who everybody kind of hates publicly but loves privately and loves their work, like I would be as scared for your life right now. So if you're like you know, like Mike Tyson, they got to Mike Tyson, they didn't get to him directly, but they went through his family. So you know. You got to be careful out there, man. They're getting yeah. Ma- Muhammad Ali could be next. Is he, is he still alive? Yeah, Muhammad Ali's totally alive, as is wow. his daughter. 
For now. Oh, dude. Oh. We're, we're getting really into uncomfortable territory here. And I'm usually the guy saying full speed ahead into the bad place. Kabooby. I, 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 I meant that entirely jokingly because obviously Muhammad Ali's daughter could, could kick my ass if I came at her. So she She's has nothing to fear from me. I thought you were, I thought you were a black belt in jujitsu or something. Yeah, no. Irrelevant. Yeah, Muhammad, Ali, Muhammad Ali's daughter, professional boxer, she could kill me. Yeah, not a problem. Jiu-jitsu. What, wait, what martial art are you uh, expert in? Not, not to get too much of my personal life, but yeah, I, I study and teach jiu-jitsu. Oh, there you go. Oh, and you teach it. You give back to the community that's given so much to you. Indeed. Well, that's... Still, Muhammad Ali's daughter. Dude, seriously, nothing going. I am so much inferior to her. She has nothing to fear from me. So, so who would win in a two-event biathlon? <laughs> um, street fighting and freestyle vocalization and verbal and singing arts between Muhammad Ali's daughter and Tatiana Ali. Like, if there's one event that's singing and one event that's punching. Now, the singing comes first. Because if you're singing second, it's not fair. Um, but I guess you can then try to sing for the person. punch! Yeah, you could sing so that the other person doesn't want to fight you, but you can't punch them so that they can't sing. Um, or maybe you can pick which one you want to do first. And it's a strategic thing. It's like a game tree, um, which just ends with Tatiana Ali getting punched in the face, which would make a great YouTube video. And that's why it comes full circle with Billy Mays. I'm... I'm... <laughs> I'm really dislike I'm just saying. I think it's unfortunate that our celebrity death match has become a discussion of celebrity death matches. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, uh, oh, we just lost Mark. Well, we'll get him back. Um, is it just me, or is long form improv very boring to everyone but the people who is who are in it? <laughs> What is this in relevance to? I, I, you know, I saw, a, um, I saw a Herald group that was not a super good Herald group, uh, I admit, in Connecticut Friday night. And I just thought, like, well, they're having a great time, but everyone else in the theater is kind of out in the cold here. Well, that, this weekend was the weekend of the Twin Cities Improv Festival and the Providence Improv Festival. So many of the improvisers, especially in New England, were not in their home turf. So if you saw somebody in New England improviser, like, less than two hours away from Providence who wasn't headed to Providence to perform, yeah. like, they either are really good or probably really bad. I don't know. That's my guess on it anyway. Got it. Okay. Fair point. But also, um, yeah, no, bad improv is awful. And good improv is funny, but not repeatable sometimes, right? Um, just no, not to, repeatable. To, not repeatable all the time. You'd imagine. We should, you'd hope. We should clue in our audience briefly because we kind of jumped into something much more fringy than what we were talking about previously. <laughs> uh, that like <laughs> some of the people on the podcast are involved in improvisational comedy, and there are different kinds of improvisational comedy. Some of which are more mainstream than others. And Matt was just commenting on a less mainstream form of improvisational comedy, uh, long form comedy. It's sort of a big umbrella, covers a lot of different kinds of artsy, dramatic performances but they're they're funny and there's ways of doing it i'll talk to anybody at length about this at any time but you know now is not the time or place for me to really delve into it um but uh i don't know what i'll step aside if someone else wants to will, jump will in will your conversation be structured or unstructured uh it depends can i get a suggestion from the podcast Proctologist. <laughs> no we're not going to take that one. spatula 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 penis 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 like have, have we left the subject of uh, left the subject of celebrity deaths already? No, not really. <laughs> okay, I, I dropped off the call for a second. Meta celebrity uh, death, but the subject of celebrity deaths itself suffered a horrible accident, <laughs> and, <laughs> and it in turn has been killed, and nobody knows why. But the autopsy is coming. Peter, are you talking soon. about the subject of celebrity deaths or the subjectivity of celebrity deaths? <laughs> uh, it's the sensibility, really, more than the sense when you get right down to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mark, save us, please. Sure. Well, I'm, I'm going to have to get really serious on you guys, so I apologize for this. And now, I acknowledge, yes, that you know the celebrities that we talked about, some more than others, but definitely you know, Michael Jackson, for example, all the celebrities we talked about you know, have left a you know, significant you know, impact on the culture, on the popular culture. Um, but I would just like to remind everybody, right, that every human life is sacred. Every human life has value. And that, you know, we've talked a lot about, about one man, Michael Jackson, dying. And, you know, in the... Uh, you know, in the hour that we've been doing this podcast, you know, however many kids have died of malaria in Africa, uh, those lives have worth as well, too. So as we mourn for one man, 
more for the others as well too. I'm just going to leave it at that. Well, and it's it's the word is not ironic. It's strangely apropos. Uh, you know, I had a friend when I was in a high school English teacher. Briefly, I had another high school English teacher friend uh, who used to play a game called ironic, unfortunate, or strangely apropos. <laughs> and, and so he would take, like, for example, the uh, the Alanis Morissette song, and each example would be classified as ironic, unfortunate, or strangely apropos. Rain on your wedding day, for example, is unfortunate, right? Okay. okay. Uh, a free ride when you've already paid may be ironic. The good advice that you just didn't take is uh, unfortunate. Uh the um oh god now i can't remember the the verses but uh you know they're mostly unfortunate which i mean which has led to the term morissettian irony which means i think things that suck <laughs> but i don't understand uh, yeah. the difference between ironic and strangely apropos because if it's strangely apropos wouldn't it be dramatic irony or some sort of cosmic irony well i guess i i mean irony not to get too fringy here, but like I think when you sort of meta think about irony, irony is the trope that sets up two realities. It sets up a uh, an expected or a supposed reality, and then an actual reality of of what happens. And that yeah, I mean that seems to be the the kind of meta story of all ironies, whether they're you know situational or dramatic or verbal. Uh, like for example, sarcasm sets up sets up a a uh, split between what a statement purports to mean and what it actually means. Uh, Robert Frost had a word for this, by the way. It was ulteriority. Uh, Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> no, so, that was maybe sarcastic. No, no, that maybe sarcastic. <laughs> Whatever. I don't know how to be sarcastic anymore. Matt, that's <laughs> fascinating. The problem with um, having a woman on the podcast is they do the thing that all women do when I start talking to them, which is promptly lose interest. Badness. <laughs> <laughs> and um, right, and so so strangely apropos is more. I, I think speaks more to a sense of, of weird cosmic justice than weird cosmic irony. Mm. Uh, you know, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess. mean, it depends. A lot of it depends on whether, you know, a lot of it depends on what your expectations are for how your metaphysics works and how you think the universe is constructed. Right. It's not, it's, it's really sort of like, instead of something being ironic, it's like, hey, that's what you wouldn't expect. It's, um, it's hey, in a, in a weird way, that is exactly what you would expect. Yeah. I, that, I think that would be strangely apropos, I guess. Mm. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, how, how did that relate to the celebrity death situation? Weren't we talking about something ironic? Mm. Uh, no, no, I was talking about the value of human life. Yeah, Mark was talking about children in Africa dying. Oh, uh, right. And so I was saying it's not precisely ironic. Maybe it's strangely apropos that Michael Jackson devoted his... Uh, like devoted his philanthropic works such as it was to, you know, bettering the lot of children around the world. It, it was his goal to heal the world and make it a better place. Uh, for who, John? Damn well, I mean, for, for you, for one, and for me, uh, for another. Uh, but I think largely for the entire human race. Yeah, but the, I mean, you know, uh, why would he want to do that, John? Well, because there are there are people dying, but yeah. But what does that what does that bear on my no, healing no, this, the world? This is, this is important. This is important that there are people dying, but if you care enough for the living, uh huh. It. I, I can't continue. I'm sorry. No, guys, guys, guys. I want to love you, PYT, pretty young thing. I, wait, I gotta look up the other oh, lyrics. But, but no, it's very deeply meaningful personally. <laughs> you know what Pete is saying? Pete wants us to, oh, baby, give him one more chance. <laughs> Just mama say, mama sa, mama kusa. Mama say, mama sa, mama. Hee hee. Look, you know, you are my friend, okay? And hold me like you were my brother. And, and I will be something. Uh, ooh, do, 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 free Willie. Uh, is, is Willie yet free? Um, well, Willie is finally free. He's le- leapt over that great jetty into the sky. <laughs> He's you free. Mean, Keiko of, the whale? <laughs> He's free of this mortal coil. Yeah. Um, I, how is Keiko doing right now? That is a good question. <laughs> Who would have thought that Keiko would have outlived Michael Jackson? Uh-huh. Michael Jackson had something to do with Keiko's freedom. 
<laughs> so perhaps Keiko will carry Michael Jackson's spirit. Let's see. Keiko the Orca. No, Keiko <laughs> died in 2003. Should we go into listener feedback? Uh, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. <laughs> Hopefully okay. some of it is about Orca, because that was a blistering subject that the internet was just crying for more information on. It's, uh, <laughs> it's not about Orca, but I think it's pretty, pretty much as relevant. Hey, this is Lawrence from South South Jersey. Uh, this is a bit of an odd question, but I figured you guys might know, if anyone else. Is there any possible way through any alteration or mod or whatnot to run World of Warcraft offline? <laughs> everyone else has been running everything else offline, and I've heard of ways of running EverQuest and EverQuest 2 offline, but I've never heard of a way to run World of Warcraft offline. And EverQuest 2. And I don't know if maybe they have a security program or they have some other item or technical spec, but I figured you guys might actually know how to do it. That's All reasonable. Right. Well, I actually I mean, do know how to do it. Bye. <laughs> oh, wait, really? What? Uh, yeah, but you need to get some extra equipment. You have to go to a gaming <laughs> store. You need to buy, um, I believe they're called dice. And <laughs> there's a special book that you need to buy. I believe it's called D and D. Shani, you just created a very dangerous situation where I was about to spit my beer out over the whole computer. I was saying he created a dangerous situation where there are a whole bunch of level eighty barbarian. <laughs> <laughs> shit. Bring yourself. Yes. You are, uh, which king is very wrathful right now? I don't even know what that means, actually. Shana, you have you have a negative saving throw against dorkiness. <laughs> I, do. I, do. I just like to say we don't know. <laughs> but we don't know at all. We have yes, no, no idea. We, we, we are, are not. Yeah, no. Let me let me just like. Uh, we are not the technical support website. We are the popular <laughs> culture website. But if you know, I'm, I'm, I'm flattered that he thinks that we know as much about yes, Sir, like, your opinion of us is higher than ours of ourselves. And I yes, wonder what else he thinks that we know. Like, <laughs> yes, that, his, that his first reaction to this question would not be to use Google, or even if he's used Google, having exhausted Google, to then be all right. The the next easiest solution will be to call these people I've never met. <laughs> yeah, no, not and, find a not find a like a gaming forum or something. No, and no, no, no. you know, like this this collection of of five to half a dozen strangers, call them and ask them, or the internet that they have access to, because we have access to a higher level internet far beyond the common internets you people know. <laughs> it's very advanced. Oh, advanced <laughs> compared to quad laser. <laughs> <laughs> To be fair, I think we probably mentioned this in the podcast in the past that uh, uh, Matt Rather and myself and uh, I guess John in some ways um, either have been or currently are some sort of uh, IT professional. Is that not the case? Yeah, uh, that, that's that's not the case for me. Are you, that, are you working? Oh, I'm not going to get too much into what you actually do, but you would not consider that to be working in IT. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not. Yeah, I'm, I'm not an, an IT guy. I leave, the, I leave the tech stuff to other people. I have the money making aspect. Okay. He does the important have, bit. I mean, we, Matt, Matt no, you, you, know, you, you and I have been our, our, And our, I made, I made the classic the mistake with a client this week where I gave this client who was a, uh, a nonprofit, uh, the executive director of a nonprofit foundation, I, I gave this person my home number and have been plagued by phone calls at all hours of the day and night about... Yeah, that, that was a mistake. Yeah, about their computer. About his or her computer. I won't. I'm trying to like reveal no information about this person so that I don't, you know, lose the lucrative gig. But still, you know, hey, if you do tech support, and I have a feeling that you know, if you listen to podcasts as entertainment, you probably have a higher level of tech savvy than pretty much anyone else you know. So you probably are the technical support for your family or group of friends or frat house or. You know, uh, cell block. So, <laughs> so you uh, you know you do this. Don't give them your home number. You gotta set some boundaries and never give away co- a computer because you'll be technically supporting that computer forever and ever and ever. Hey, hey Matt. Hey Matt. Yeah. Okay. So I did this really outlandish thing, which is I googled World of Warcraft offline, and I came <laughs> up with Yahoo Answers, which asks the question: 
is it possible to run World of Warcraft offline? And the answer that's gotten the most votes, by which I mean two from a year ago, <laughs> is that you can play on private servers, which are probably illegal, and you <laughs> have to make them yourself. But other than that, you can't do it. So, like, you, I think that it's, like, not – as far as I know, and if, as far as the, my first Google hit knows, which is uh, ironically enough – now, wait. Is the fact that my first Google hit a Yahoo website, is that ironic, strangely apropos, or uh, what was or the other tragic. one? <laughs> or tragic. Sad. Probably tragic. Yahoo Answers is always kind of tragic. But um, <laughs> they basically say uh, – and it's, the consensus for the other answers, too, is that you can potentially do it on a private server, but you're cheating, and it's illegal, and all this other stuff. But if anyone else has a better answer, put it in the, com- uh, the comments. But when you put the answer, make sure you also ask for what ringtone you want to have sung. By <laughs> your- <laughs> and propose a, a celebrity death match. Yes, exactly. We'll do the trifecta. We'll answer all three. You all right. On to, uh, on to Ken from Brooklyn, who left his, his latitude and longitude. Oh, that was the other thing. Uh, South, South Jersey. You didn't leave a latitude and longitude. And that, that's a recipe for getting mocked mercilessly on the air. If, if you'd left that, we would have had an accurate answer for you. <laughs> <as a trip. laughs> I thought uh, I did okay. I thought we gave that guy some useful information. <laughs> <laughs> Ken, Ken from Brooklyn left a, uh, left like a three-minute voicemail that got cut off. Uh, and, and so he called back, which is, you know, uh, what I do when I get cut off on voicemail, and he has this to say. Hi, this is Ken from Brooklyn again. Just left the last message. Thought I was being brief. Got cut off by a machine. Should tell me something. Anyway, it doesn't matter. My point was basically made by the time I uh, stumbled my way to getting cut off. So um, I guess I'll just leave it at that. Uh, Love the podcast, guys. I think it's great. (laughs) I really enjoy it. And uh, keep up the good work. Bye-bye. First of all, Ken, thank you for the kind words about the podcast. We we really love all our listeners, even though we give you some good-natured ribbing every now and again. Now, Ken proposed uh, – we, we were talking about guilty pleasures, and Ken proposed, as it were, graphing the quality of uh, – of a work of art on two dimensions. One dimension being the amount of enjoyment you derive from it, the other dimension being uh, the amount of respect that you have for it. So that there was something, there is art that you both, uh, that there's art that you both uh, respect and enjoy. There is art that you neither respect nor enjoy. Uh, there's art that you respect but don't enjoy, and in this category fall a lot of the books that you were forced to read during college. And then the interesting category, uh, what we sometimes call um, guilty pleasures, art that you enjoy but don't necessarily respect. And then he, uh, and then uh, Ken went into something about enjoying ironically, but I'm going to go with the point that Pete has made time and time and time again. If you enjoy it, you enjoy it. Uh, there's nothing ironic about enjoyment. Like, if you like it, you like it. You don't like it. <laughs> yeah, that was, could you, could you sense the air quotes in my voice? I was trying. It's like rain on your wedding day. Sarcasm. <laughs> nice, nice. Yes, you pass the. Uh, you're, you're an excellent, excellent exolinguist. Okay, let me give it a real world example. Um, I was thinking about irony today. I picked out a birthday card, and as our, you know, our cohort is wont to do, um, I chose something kind of jokey, something kind of ironic, right? Um, I gave a, a a friend of mine a a children's Indiana Jones birthday card. <laughs> You know, with a fairly grizzled-looking old Harrison Ford in the front, and a ridiculous Shia LaBeouf in the middle, uh, in, in, in the inside of the card, with a decoder ring, a hidden message inside. Um, and I was, I was, and as I was picking it out, I was thinking about, you know, really, like, you know, like, uh, to what degree is my giving of this selection and giving of this card an ironic gesture, right? Because I do like Indiana Jones. Well, I didn't like Indiana Jones in the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Um, but I mean, the card was definitely goofy. Um, I don't know. What do you guys, can you guys give me like a, an irony reading here? I think it's just a way um, 
not necessarily in this case, but uh, knowing a lot of hipsters myself, and I guess being a faux hipster, um, I think sometimes irony is a way of uh, putting a snarky shield over something childish. Like, I want to re-engage in this childish culture that I enjoyed when I was very young, but I can't anymore because I'm of a certain age. So if I do it ironically, then uh, it doesn't seem so kiddy anymore, perhaps. Hmm. I would suggest that in addition to there being cultural things that you either respect or don't respect or enjoy or don't enjoy, you have friends whom you enjoy or don't enjoy or respect or don't respect. And whether you respect or enjoy them is going to affect what birthday card you buy them. Um, no, no. I think that if you like Christmas Skull better, that birthday card wouldn't have been funny. <laughs> That's interesting to think about, like, our, what you think of yourself. Like, I feel like I'm respected but not enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> wow! <laughs> or enjoyed but not respected. I, I guess it depends are on you, the friends. Are you right? saying that there isn't a real man on this podcast? <laughs> oh man, we're getting burned left and right, guys. We're, we're at full retreat. We can't handle the density of their X chromosomes. Oh Christ! <laughs> Give up the ship! Give up the ship! Wow! I'm done. <laughs> Already. But you no, were only on for just, one of them. Uh, I'm back. <laughs> we tried to get you on this thing for months. Uh, Rather than get diving into another long and complicated discussion about you know irony and you know and versus guilty pleasures <laughs> and things like that, but, uh, I would recommend going back and listening to the previous episode we talked about that because you know we did have an interesting discussion about the social aspect of a guilty pleasure, right? Where your peer group doesn't, uh, you you're ashamed. There's a shame element where you're afraid that your peer group will you know will think less of you for liking something. Um, but that's different, though, from liking something ironically, and that, which has something to do with kind of the badness or not badness, or I guess in this case, the respectfulness of it. Uh, anyway, go back and listen to it. Yeah, when I, I, I guess I just, I left all that behind. I really sort of went off the reservation when, uh, when I started watching Dawson's Creek, <laughs> you know, and just stopped caring what anyone freaking thinks of, of my terrible taste in entertainment. Yeah, I think the I think the point been made about respect for craftsmanship, like the respect for you know the the artistic quality involved, is an interesting one because it it brings to mind something I've only recently discovered that the whole notion of guilty pleasures tends to originate only with people who are pretty creative in the first place. Like people who don't put a lot of thought into creating art or creating good art don't tend to have guilty pleasures. Like they they enjoy things you know for what they are you know and enjoy them on their own merits and that's good but it's the people who invest a lot in how to make good art like how to write well or how to film well or, or, how to or make John, good songs. it's it's pre, it's people who are preoccupied with what the art they like says about them yes true to to bring it to expand it from just creators into critics as well i yeah. suppose uh like and 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 that so I think I think a useful rule of thumb would for a guilty pleasure would be if I can quote see behind the curtain. In other words, if I can detach myself from the from the experience and analyze how it's made and sort of have my judgment on that but still enjoy it, that might be an example of a guilty pleasure like uh the Liam Neeson movie Taken for instance, which I had a lot of fun with but is absolutely guilty pleasure because I recognize it's not at all a very good movie. Yeah, and and is also kind of like some like there are ethnic problems with that movie. <laughs> like there are some troubling assumptions about race in Taken. A couple, and and yeah, I, I recognize the the formulaicness of it, and you know the the very much paint by numbers grimness. But I still had a lot of fun watching it. So that would be the definition of a guilty pleasure. I can I can see behind the curtain, but I, I still I still have fun with it. Well, yeah, but you, I mean, you don't sound particularly guilty. It's, it's like, uh, well, yeah, I did just admit it on the podcast. Yeah, it's like, it's like, you you said you thought it was, uh, uh, fun, but not good. Yes, I, I would, I would say that I would, I would say the same thing of, you know, uh, uh, flow riders low or, you know, soldier boy or or anything like that. Yeah, soldier boy is a good example. 
yeah, they're they're fun, but they're not good by any stretch. I would, and actually, like Soldier Boy's maybe. Do we just start a rap feud? Do we have a rap beef battle between John Parrish and Soldier Boy? (laughs) (laughs) You guys need to record some diss tracks. I think it's on. Oh, people, people are going to get shot over this. Oh man, oh this is great. More celebrity deaths. Oh, I didn't know that we were going to be next. Oh, we're going to hide John. Soldier Boy's going to come for him. Um, I'm sorry. Ice Ice Cube's already taken the battle for me on on Soldier Boy. He's he's said everything I need to say there to be fair it was iced tea but i get your point no no no. oh, oh. no yeah i'm thinking i'm, I'm thinking about yeah, no, 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 no. it was ice cream get it right it was ice, ice cream. cream oh okay <laughs> i'm sorry about that i thought it was no, 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 that, that's right I, ice tea recorded the youtube videos but i think ice cubes also said one or two things about him I've never heard the Ices unite on any topic before even <laughs> 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 vanilla yeah, there's vanilla involved. Can you go trifecta on it? Wow, their powers combined. Yeah, I find I find I like uh, an ice cube in my iced tea. Mm. That that's kind of gay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it shot. wasn't funny. My point is, you know, you throw a lot of darts, right? Like there, you know, you have to make a lot of jokes before one lands. Uh, well, okay, we, we should wrap it up. You know, we have another we have another great listener email that I want to get to and that we put off last time and we didn't end up getting to this time. Uh, it's from Amy uh, in Germany, who is married to a service member uh, whose name is Matthew, who is serving uh, in Iraq now. And I reiterate the pledge that I've made that we will send an overthinking care package to... Uh, to the men there uh, at FOB. We're assembling as we speak. Yep. Yes. Uh, I mean, not literally as we speak. We're recording as we speak. But, you know, in sort of one of the things we were talking about before we started recording, I guess, was assembling it. And, uh, yes, at uh, FOB Caldwell. Um, any, anyone listening there, uh, you uh, will hear it. And so I guess in addition to being huge in Australia, we are huge also in a uh, particular farmhouse in Germany and also <laughs> in a forward operating base in Iraq. We're huge in Iraq. <laughs> Uh, so that's great, and there there are some great there are some great uh, uh, there are some great comments, including one that was dictated uh, dictated from Iraq, and it will be our first Iraqi uh, listener email, and we will get to those next time. Uh, in the meantime, if you have anything that you would like to add to our listeners, uh, keep in mind we don't do tech support. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I know. I thought we did a good job. No, Pete did use the awesome technical prowess of Google. <laughs> and to, Yahoo. And, and also you. Yahoo. <laughs> <laughs> Both of them. I guess, yeah, I guess the power of using two search engines together is what makes it especially... <laughs> hard uh but um you know if you have any questions anything you want to say uh you can uh email us at podcast at overthinkingit.com you can call the podcast voicemail i love voicemails i love to play them uh at 20 eat log zero one that's two zero three two eight five six four zero one you can use the contact form on the site or you can leave a comment on the show notes. That's four, four, four ways in one to make your voice heard, for you are the sixth podcaster, uh, the Triforce of Podcast. And uh, as always, visit us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. I felt the estrogen. Did anyone else feel the estrogen? Uterus power. <laughs> there goes the neighborhood. Pretty <laughs> Diana! Ow! <laughs>